Hey, good morning, Redemption. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to preach through the Lord's Prayer, at least a portion of it today. Before we get into that, will you guys pray with me? I love to pray before I preach, mostly because I don't, I don't think I can do this well without the Lord's help. And then I think also at home, it would be good for us to center our hearts on Christ and ask the Spirit to move in us and help us to hear from Him today. So let's all pray together. God, right now as we get into your word, I just ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would give us ears to hear. Um, God, as we look at uh, what I think is maybe the hardest portion of the Lord's Prayer for our hearts, that you would just mold our hearts the way that you want to in this, that we would be able to pray this portion of the prayer well. God, we need you for this to go well. Let your uh, word not return void like you promise, and, and, and just fill me with your spirit and let what I say be what you would say to our church today. God, we love you and we need you. Amen. All right, so we are in week five of our Lord's Prayer series. And what we're doing in this series is we're, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer and we're, breaking, we're taking it week by week and taking portions of the prayer and saying, how do we pray that portion of the prayer? And so this week, we're looking at forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, here I, I got to give you guys a note before we get started here. Uh, I, I'm not used to, to preaching to cameras, okay? I'm used to preaching to a room full of people. And so I, I have to warn you about something that might happen. Jess and Zach are here, uh, of course, helping with this. But here, here's something that might happen today. Uh, I, I, you might get car preacher, Anthony, okay? And th- this is a little preacher secret. I know Vince does this too. Preachers, they do this thing sometimes in their car. I don't know what inspires them. Maybe they hear a Christian song or a really good uh, commercial on the Christian radio, and, and they just get inspired to just preach about something, just like a little snippet, and they just get after it. And for me, it looks totally different than how I actually preach in real life. And the reason for that is, is because there's no one there to help me know this is socially wrong, the way that I'm preaching, okay? And because of that, I don't know if you're going to get that, Anthony, today. There are, you know, Zach and Jess are here, sure, but I don't know if they can keep me in check. And so just just to warn you, when I preach that way, he is a very charismatic, loud, the, the Holy Spirit is like exiting my voice in my mouth. So I don't know if you're going to get that guy today. If you do, I apologize, unless he, he's a better preacher. If he is a better preacher, then this will go well. And, that, and then I have to change my preaching style. But anyways, uh, I, I apologize in advance if, if you get car preacher Anthony. Uh, so all that being said, we're going to be in this section of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We're, gonna see, we're, we're just going to ask ourselves the question today, what does it mean for us to pray through that part of the Lord's Prayer? And so we're going to look at this in three sections to help us learn what it means to pray through that part of the prayer. So the three sections that we're going to look through throughout the sermon are sin, confession, and forgiveness. We're going to go through those ideas. We're going to look at how those ideas are in this portion of the prayer, and we're going to see how understanding those ideas 
uh, help us to understand this part of the prayer, but then also how those ideas help us interact and pray through this part of the prayer, okay? So, sin, confession, and forgiveness. Let's do as we have every week and just read through uh, the the whole Lord's Prayer together. Uh, It's in Matthew, if you have your Bibles. This is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first gospel, so it's it's about here in most people's Bibles, about a bit more than two-thirds of the way through. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. So read with me if you have your Bibles at home. It says this. This is Jesus teaching on prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So first, let's talk about this idea of sin or debts that we see in this part of the prayer. What what is Jesus talking about here? I think if we look at both uh, Luke's version of this prayer and Matthew's version of this prayer in each of those gospels, we will see kind of what is trying to be communicated there. And already some of you, I know you're probably freaking out. You're like, there's two different versions of this prayer. There's one in Matthew and there's one in Luke. Now, first, the the versions of the prayer are almost identical. They're not that different. Second, the thing we have to remember, sometimes people see these differences in the Gospels and they go, this is a contradiction. This can't be true. But especially when you notice it in Jesus' teaching, here's the thing we have to remember about Jesus. He was an itinerant preacher. That means he traveled from place to place, from region to region, and he preached probably similar things or the same things, or he nuanced certain things to help that audience hear it. And so Don't let those things freak you out too much because usually I think Jesus is just catering to that audience, the prayer in a way that makes sense to them. But I also think uh, there's some other thoughts around why it's called debts here and sin in another uh, that that can help us. I'm going to read a quote from Kenneth Bailey, and he wrote this book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he's talking about this word and this word of debts and sins being used and how it's used in Matthew and Luke, and I think what he says is really helpful. I'm going to read the quote with some commentary. It says this, in Aramaic, now that's the language that Jesus spoke, in Aramaic, Jesus had available to him the word koba, which means both debts and sins. Greek, like English, and the Greek is what Matthew and Luke are written in, Greek, like English, expresses these two ideas with separate words. When the Lord's Prayer was translated into Greek, there was a problem. Matthew chose debts, and Luke managed to use both words. Whichever word is chosen for worship in English, the faithful need to remember that they are asking for forgiveness for failing to fulfill what God requires of them, debts, and for their failure to do the right thing when they did act, trespasses. So I think that just helps us understand whether you're reading Matthew or Luke, Jesus, when he's teaching us the Lord's Prayer, he wants us to spend time thinking about our sin. Jesus wants us to spend time thinking about our mistakes. Jesus wants us to spend time thinking about the wrong that we do, our bad behavior, our flaws, And I know that already some of you watching are going, 
gosh, this church is such a downer sometimes. They, in this corona season where I'm lonely and depressed and looking for hope, I'm tuning in and I'm hoping to get some encouragement. And then Anthony hits us with this and says, Jesus wants us to think about our sin. That, that, that just seems counterintuitive. It seems not helpful. But I want to contend that all of us intuitively know that if somebody recognizes their own sin and becomes self-aware enough to see their own sin, it's actually good for them. And not only is it good for them, it's good for the world. Here's how we know this. Each of us has somebody in our life that maybe it's an overbearing boss. Maybe it's a spouse that just jabs with their words. Maybe uh, maybe it's just a bully in your life. Maybe it's a, a narcissistic parent or family member that, that just is completely focused on themselves. And we all have these kind of people in our life and they're in, in our hearts. And even in, we explicitly think, man, I just wish those people, that person could become a little bit more self-aware just a little bit more self-aware so that they could see how mean they are, how rude they are, how, how wrong they are, and how they mistreat me and others. And if they could just become a little bit more self-aware, then my life would be better. Their life would be better. The world would be a better place. We know this. We all think this. We all have people in our life where we're like, for sure, if they could just see their own wrong, see their own sin, They'd be better. The world would be better. Now, here's the bad news. Here's the bad news for us and our ears and our ears that want to hear, you are awesome. Don't believe otherwise. You're awesome. That sin thing, don't worry about. But the, the problem with that is if there are people in our life that we wish that about, it's also true about us. It's also true that it is good for us, each individually, to recognize our own sin, to become self-aware. It is good for us. So when Jesus invites us into looking at our own debts or our own sins, it's not a downer. It's actually a good thing for us. I actually think seeing our sin and recognizing our sin for what it is, and that is sin, that means wrong against a holy God that also hurts the world. If we can see sin for what it is, I think it's actually a good thing for our hearts. Here's a few ways that thinking about our sin and recognizing our sin and acknowledging our sin is good for us. First, it just does. It helps us see how we're hurting others and how we're hurting the world. It helps us uh, see the, the relational damage that we're doing in our relationship with God. Uh, it helps us to see our need for God. Like if a lot of us don't think we need God, and it's because we don't think we're sinners. But God created this universe with the intent that we would be dependent on Him, that we would be in need of Him. We talked a lot about that last week. This is fundamental to our creation. It's not broken, it's not a broken part of us that we need God. It is fundamental to who we are, and sin, seeing it for what it is in our hearts, helps us to realize how much more true that is. Seeing our sin for what it is, it helps us to long for God. 1 Corinthians 7, 11, it says this, that godly grief, it does all these sorts of things. And this idea of godly grief in 1 Corinthians is this idea that 
there is a sort of good grief for us to have over our sin. A sort of good grief that leads us to, to being saved by God. And it says that also that godly grief can produce in us a longing for God. So I really think that if we begin to see our sin for what it is, we will begin to long for God. How many of us have these apathetic relationships with, or have a apathetic relationship with God? And we're just like, I don't know why, I don't know why. And now there's a lot of reasons for that. But I wonder if one of those reasons is because we just don't think about our sin. We don't have godly grief, which will lead to a longing for God. I also think understanding our sin help, or, and seeing it for what it is, it helps us understand God better and know God more. Right? When you see what your sin is and what it does to the world and what it does to God's heart, I think we begin to see how much bigger God's love is for us and for the world. I think we begin to see how much more amazing His grace is. I think we'll begin to see how much more beautiful His mercy and His justice is. But if we don't look at our sin, I don't think those things come as naturally. I don't think it's as easy to, to realize those things about God and about ourselves. So listen, I, listen if, if thinking about sin or talking about sin, if it freaks you out, I would really encourage you to think through why. Because Jesus daily in prayer, at least daily in prayer it seems like, wants us to think through that. I'd also say, hey, this is, I don't even think... Thinking about our sin is the hardest part of this portion of the prayer. We'll, we'll see in a few minutes what that is. But in the meantime, when we pray, and we enter into this portion of the prayer, I think there is a moment where we just got to go, God, help me see my sin for what it is. Help me see where I've sinned today. All right, so let, let's move on. Let's move on to confession. So we talked about sin. Now let's talk about confession. If you don't know confession and what confession is in Christianity, this word is used to just simply say a moment of prayer where we speak to God, or even if we speak to other brothers and sisters in Christ, and just admit to them the sin that we have. And it's part of this process that helps lead us into deeper repentance, a deeper turning into God, and there's just something healing about it. And First John says that if we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive. So it's this also this like reminder moment for us when we confess uh, to God. And so Jesus, he, he is encouraging us to do that daily. Now, I want to clarify something. When I heard this portion of the prayer growing up, I thought it was we had to confess every time we sinned or we go to hell. Like I thought like, man, if you don't get your confession in on time, it's a bad scenario for you. So I would bring this scenario up to my Sunday school teachers and to my dad. And sometimes they gave me good answers. And sometimes I was kind of, they were kind of like, well, I don't know. Like it, it was kind of confusing. And this was the scenario I'd bring up. I would say, listen, what if I'm walking down the street, bus is coming straight for me. I'm going to die. I'm going to get hit by the bus. And right before the bus hits me, I cuss. I, just right before, and then I'm dead. Like I, and I would ask my dad and others, I'd be like, what happens in that scenario? If I don't have a chance to ask God to forgive me, what exactly happens there? And 
uh, I got a very mixture of, of answers. Again, some good, some bad. But even a lot of people were just kind of, they were kind of like, I, I don't know actually what happens there. And so uh, here, this is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying, hey, every time you sin, you've got to make sure you do that or you're, you're not saved. You're not saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. His, what he did on the cross for us was powerful enough to save us from all of our sins that we've already committed, that we're committing now, and that we will commit in the future. So that, that, that's not exactly what he's saying. However, this daily act of confession is still important for us. But I think it, it, it's not like this fire insurance thing like I thought of when I was a kid. But it's more of, well, here's what I th- why I think God has us do this. Here's why I think Jesus has us do this. I think confession leads us into a healthier relationship with God. I think when we confess daily, it helps us to have a healthier relationship with God. Listen, we, we all get, we all see in human relationships the restorative nature of confessing sin to someone, especially when you've confessed it to them. Like, like if you've sinned against them and you confess to them and say, hey, I'm, I messed up. I sinned against you. I'm really sorry I did that. And how much of a restoration moment that is. Like, for instance, if a husband or a wife came to me and they were like, hey, yeah, I just keep messing up, but you know what? We have this marriage covenant. I know they're not leaving me. That's not what we, like, we stay together because of this marriage covenant. So I don't really apologize ever. I would be like, you're crazy. Like, this is not, that's not a healthy relationship. And so when Jesus invites us to confess our sin to him daily, he's inviting us into a more healthy relationship with with him. And so I think the first way that looks and the first way our relationship with God gets healthier is simply this. When we confess our sin, it is a moment and it's part of a process where we were looking at sin one direction and then we and, and we turn to God and we see him. Here's the thing about being in sin and sinning. I truly don't think you can look and be facing sin and focused on sin and focused on God, right? I'm not saying you can't be a Christian. I'm just saying there is an interruption in your relationship with God in some way, and it's not on God's part. God is healthy and whole, and he's always going to keep up his side of the covenant. He's been saying that since the Old Testament, but he also says our sin affects that relationship. And so when we daily confess, what it does is it, it restores our relationship, not because God ran away or was mad at us, but more because like God was just standing there waiting for us to turn back to him. He brings health into our relationship with him where, where we bring toxicness. And so confession is, is part of this repentance process where we turn away from our sin and turn to God, all right? So I think confession brings health in our relationship in that way. I also think confession does this amazing thing. When we take time each day to bring our sin before God, we are participating in a practice that reminds us that we're fully known and we're fully loved. Every time we confess our sins to God, let me say that again. 
God, we are, we are participating in a practice that helps us to know that God fully knows us and he fully loves us. My daughter, Amelie, she, uh, whenever she does something wrong, and it doesn't always have to be sin, and I'm questioning myself as a parent even because she does this. I'm like, am I cultivating this sort of place? And I, I hope not. But whenever she, she does something wrong, she, she physically hides herself. She, uh, what she does is she'll find pillows from our couch and put them all over her. She'll find a little crevice somewhere. And it could be any sort of a mistake. It could be all, all sorts of things. Sometimes it's like morally wrong things. Sometimes it's not morally wrong things. But she just feels this immense shame to the point where she wants to hide herself completely. She doesn't want anyone to look at her. She doesn't want anyone to see her. And I think what Amelie is illustrating to me is my own heart's desire uh, of what to do with my sin. Because here's the real, I'm, I, when I sin, it's not like I want to go run and hide physically from people, although that's kind of true for me too. But what I want to do with my sin is I want to hide it from people. I want to hide it from people. I don't want people to know about it. I want to hide it from God. I don't even want to bring it to Him. And so in this portion of the prayer, where, where God is telling us to confess our sins and, and remember his forgiveness and ask him to forgive us. He's, he's inviting us into this place to remind us that he, he knows us fully and he loves us fully. He's invited us to, to live opposite to how sin wants our hearts to. Like sin wants our hearts to live in shame. Sin wants our hearts to hide ourselves. Sin wants us to hide our sin. Right? That's what sin does to our hearts. And God, by Jesus, by inviting us in this prayer to pray this, he is saying, no, but I want you to do the opposite of that. I want you to run to me. I want you to bring that stuff to me. I want you to daily tell me about it. And God knows the depths of our sin more than we do. And yet he still wants us daily to say, okay, God, this is where I messed up. Help me. And it helps us to understand the depths of his forgiveness for us. What a, what a, what a beautiful and, and astonishing thing. Confession, it's, it's so, confession of our sin to God, it's so good for our souls. It's so good for our relationship with God. It, it, it creates more health in our relationship with him. Let's, so let's talk about forgiveness. This is kind of the last portion of the prayer, in my opinion. I think this is the hardest portion of the prayer. So the second half of the prayer, it says this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And now remember, debtors means people that have sinned against us, people that are indebted to us, as, as Luke 11 puts it. When I read that, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I think there's probably a lot of us, even right now, as I read that, you're a little freaked out. Because if you're anything like me, you're like, yes, I need forgiveness. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. And then God's like, but also, we, we forgive. Christian people that are forgiven forgive. Right? That, that is freaky. Now listen, God's not saying this. He's not saying, I only forgive you when you forgive others. So like every time you forgive someone, then God forgives you. He's not saying that. But he is saying that when people when his sons and daughters understand how much they've been forgiven, then they will forgive people. 
And that freaks me out. To make matters worse, Peter, one of his disciples, one time he's talking to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Should it be like seven times? And Jesus goes, Peter, it should be like seven times 77. And if you're like me, you go, sweet, like it's, that's like 400 times or so. Like 300, I, I'm not good at math. But it's, it's not that many times. It's a lot of times, but not that many times. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, no, Peter, you keep doing it. You keep going. You keep forgiving. You c- continue to forgive as much as you can. Jesus makes it a bit more scarier because he tells a parable right after that. And he talks about this. This is what he says. I'm going to paraphrase and put it kind of in modern language. But he says, hey, there's this guy. He owed a billion dollars to another guy. And so this guy that owed a billion dollars, he was going to be thrown in jail. So he got thrown in jail. But the the billionaire dude, he, he said, you know what? I'm going to forgive that debt. You don't owe me anything. Don't worry about it. You're you're scot-free. You can get out of jail. Walk walk wherever you want. You're you're good. So that guy that owed all this money, he's walking around town, and he sees another guy that owed him 10 bucks. And his reaction right away was to choke that fool out. And he's like, you owe me 10 bucks. And Jesus says, this should not be the posture of his children. For those that have experienced and known the forgiveness of God, this should not be their posture. Jesus, when he teaches us about forgiveness, he's saying this. He's saying that God forgiving us, God forgiving you, God forgiving me is a bigger deal than you or me forgiving anyone. He is saying that. He's saying God's forgiveness of us is way bigger than us forgiving others. And again, I'm freaked out when I read this because I see how much my heart wrestles with forgiveness. I see how hard it is for me to forgive. Let me say this on the front end before we get more into this idea of forgiveness. God does call all of us to forgive. But I don't think he's calling all of us into reconciliation. Here's what I mean. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. And they are parts of the Christian life. And they are things God does for us. But reconciliation is this restoration of of relationship in in even like physical ways. Like like things are just back to normal. Jesus also taught us in our relationships to be as wise as serpents. And he was particularly talking about like religious leaders and things like that. But he taught us to, to be wise as serpents. And so some of you right now, I know the things that have been done to you by others are truly traumatic. That even if you came to me and you said, Anthony, this is what happened to me, I would probably weep and I would probably say, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what forgiveness looks like for you. I'm not sure. like I would be a bad pastor in that moment because of how heinous and evil and wrong the things that have been done to you were and are. And so I want you to hear me right now. Yeah, God, God does call all of us into forgiveness, but not, not necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes it is incredibly unwise to reconcile with someone who hurt you in certain ways. So things like healthy boundaries, Things like judicial justice are good things for that person to experience. And that, those things are actually reconciliation-type things that they need. 
And so hear me, the forgiveness that, that God is calling us into is something different than just allowing this person back into your life, allowing them to continue to hurt you or not letting them experience justice. And if you need to wrestle through that more, I'd love to wrestle through that with you. And if I'm, if I'm saying things that are insensitive, please forgive me because my, my, heart, uh, my heart wants to sit with you in your pain and I hate what's been done to you. And so I, th- I think there's a spectrum for all of us right now as we're hearing about forgiveness. There's like, for some people, it's just easy to forgive. Like you're, you just are, you're just an awesome person. I don't know. The God made your temperament amazing. So when you forgive people, it's, my, my daughter is like that. She's always like, I forgive you right away. And I, th- I think it's real. Like I think she really does just naturally forgive. Then there's kind of my heart. It's just really difficult for me to forgive people, whatever the slights are. It could be really heinous things. It could be not so heinous things. I, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes I'm just sitting there driving around, and I'm like, man, I remember this time in seventh grade where Billy said this to me, and I just, I, want, I, sh- I should go, I should punch him right now. Like, I should find, like, this is the evil of my heart that I'm confessing to you guys right now. So it's difficult for me to forgive at times. And then there's kind of the, some of us where it just feels impossible. It feels just impossible to forgive. Like this is not even something I can comprehend. Even right now you're mad at me. You're like, Anthony, my mind is blank right now. I can't even comprehend what you're saying. There's a helpful, there's two helpful things here. This prayer that Jesus invites us into, this part of the prayer, it's not just a rote prayer, right? He's not just saying, okay, pray about your sins, ask God to forgive your sins, and then say a little thing like, and God, all Christians forgive. Always, I will always say that to you, God. No, he, he knows that this is a wrestling moment for us. He knows that we have to bring our unforgiveness to him and say, God, I, I need to remember how much you've forgiven me because I have these people I need to forgive and that you can begin this wrestle and this process and understand by the guidance of the Holy Spirit what forgiveness for you looks like and what that is. Another thing that's helpful here, Everett Worthington Jr., another quote for us, he talks about this dynamic between decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. And I want to read what he says about it because I think it can help us understand a bit more about forgiveness. And he says this, decisional forgiveness is controlling our behavioral intentions. Here, we make a conscious choice to act as if we feel forgiveness toward the person who hurt us. Decisional forgiveness is important. It is a turning away from lobbing emotional grenades into our relationship by extending a ceasefire, if not calling a truce. Many Christian clients will begin with decisional forgiveness because they desire to be obedient to the biblical command to forgive one another. Emotional forgiveness is experiencing emotional replacement of negative, unforgiving emotions with positive, others, other-oriented emotions. Emotional forgiveness is what we long for, to no longer feel the distressing pain of anger, rage, or bitterness. And hear this part, church. God requires decisional forgiveness of us, but God desires emotional forgiveness of us. He requires the decisional. He desires the emotional for us. And yet I can't help but think 
that some of us right now still, still feel like, Anthony, this is impossible. I can't do it. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what they did to me. You can't imagine what it's like for me. And you're right, I can't. And in those moments where forgiveness seems impossible to me, I I, I was recently encouraged by two passages. Now, these passages are are kind of these famous passages that that we've used in the church to say, you can do everything through Christ. And I want to read them. I want to look at them. And I want to see how these passages are actually connected to forgiveness. The first one's in Luke 17. We're going to be reading Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. And here's what it says. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, that, like we've, we've heard this verse. We, we, we go, okay, if, well, man, if my faith is just that little, I could tell a tree to go get in the sea. But something we miss here is at the beginning of this in verse 5, the, the apostles were saying to God, saying to Jesus, increase our faith. Why were they saying that? Go with me to verse 4. And I think verse 4 is halfway through his sentence, but you'll get it. And this is Jesus telling them things they're supposed to do and live out. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles' response to that was, God, increase our faith. God, that seems impossible. God, I don't know if I can do that. Look how how he says it. Look at Mark 11 with me too. Mark 11, a similar situation. Mark 11, verses 22 through 25. Look at how he connects this great act of faith that we've usually talked about it to forgiveness. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then look what he says right away. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. These, these verses that we've used to say, have a super faith Christian and you'll be able to do this mountain thing. They're connected to forgiveness. And I can't help but think that this mountain that Jesus is talking about or this mulberry tree that he's talking about and these seemingly impossible things he's talking about, he is connecting to forgiveness. Let that be an encouragement to you. For those of you that feel like, man, it's impossible to me, I think Jesus would go, I know. I know it feels impossible. It's only possible with me working with you on this. And so church, for us to pray through this part of the prayer, it's going to be a wrestle. For some of us, it's going to be easy. Most of us, it's going to be a wrestle. 
And for some of us, it's going to be, seem impossible. And so when we get to this part of the prayer, here's my encouragement to just say, God, I don't even want to pray this. God, you know what they've done. God, help my heart. God, Holy Spirit, change my heart. I don't want to forgive. But you say forgiven people forgive people. So God, help my heart. Some of us, that's what this part of the prayer is going to look like for years where we are just kind of submitting to our Lord and saying, do something in my heart. Help me to understand that your forgiveness of me is a bigger deal than my forgiveness of anyone. That's what it's going to look like. That's what God calls us into. So to reiterate, to look practically at how to pray through this part of the prayer, I think it looks like this. When we get to this portion of the prayer, to to take a moment and go, God, where have I sinned today? To think about your day. Think about where you sinned. The good news is the Bible has plenty of examples of where you possibly could have sinned that day. And then to bring those sins to God and say, God, forgive me of this. I'm sorry that I did this. Help me turn to you instead and turn away from that sin. And then once we've taken time to just even think on and reflect on and praise God for his immense forgiveness for us, then we go, God, help me with my forgiveness of others. God, I, I forgive this person. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't even want to choose it. But God, I'm going to submit to your lordship and help me to forgive this person. Help me to change my heart. I'm going to give you that decisional forgiveness. But in the meantime, God, I need you to work on my emotional forgiveness. I think even in those moments, you could pray through, God, reconciliation. What does that mean for me in this process? Is that even possible? Should I even pursue it? Is reconciliation healthy boundaries? Is it these sorts of things? And just pray through that part of the prayer. So looking at our sin, admitting it to God, remembering his forgiveness, and then asking him to make us forgiving people. That's what praying through this part of the prayer is. Here's what's beautiful to me, is the Lord's prayer and this part of the prayer, I think it just reminds me that this happens because of the gospel. This happens because of the good news. The good news that our king has arrived And he is restoring all things. And that includes our relationship with him. That includes our relationship with others. And so when we pray this part of the prayer, it just reminds me of that. It reminds me that in the good news that our king has come to earth, that God, the king of all creation, has put on flesh. He has grown physical ears in order to show us that he is a God that listens That Jesus, when he taught this prayer, he was saying, my kingdom is the sort of kingdom where you come to God and you talk to God and you approach God. And then some of us probably even still go, how can I approach God with all the horrible things I've done? I don't know how that's possible. Here's how it's possible. Jesus on the cross, he says, listen, I'm going to give you my holiness. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to put that on you. You're going to be clothed in it. On the cross, I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to take on your sin. I'm going to take on the pain and lack of forgiveness that sin gets. But I'm going to give you holiness. I'm going to give you righteousness 
So now we can approach God as if we are holy, as if we can, as if we're allowed to, because Jesus has made it possible on the cross. Jesus' resurrection reminds me that in this prayer, Jesus is inviting us into life, not death, through this prayer. Think about just the amazing, beautiful things that Jesus does for us through this prayer, that we can approach him, that we see how much we've been forgiven, where we see how fully known and fully loved we are, that, that Jesus wants us to walk away from shame and hiding in our sin. Think of all the life-giving, flourishing nature of those things. That has to be connected to the resurrection because the resurrection is the ultimate picture of God bringing life to a world full of death. Church, what good news that we can pray this part of the prayer. I, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would form our hearts and make it so that we pray this part of the prayer diligently, if that's the, the right way to say it. Church, let's pray. I'm going to pray through the Lord's Prayer to close us. I'm going to pray in my own words because I've heard all kinds of versions at this point in my life. And so pray with me if you can, but let's pray it in our own words. God, my Father, thank you for being my Father. Thank you for making me your son. God, your name is holy and special and beyond anything. God, in this world, please bring about your kingdom and bring about your will. Let our world as saints look like it's in your very presence. God, provide for us today and give us our daily bread. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to see where I've sinned. And God, make my heart one that forgives other people. You know the people that I struggle forgiving. Help me to forgive them. God, keep me away from any temptations the enemy wants to put in my path and deliver me from any evil. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt. Debt. As we forgive, debt. As I forgive, debt. As in I am owed. Credit was given, but the balance isn't in my favor. I keep immaculate records of debt time, date, place. I can tell you the name of the girls who almost bankrupted my self-worth in seventh grade. And in my records, there is the face of the boy who opened an account under the name Heartbreak with fine print overdraft fees that would continue to accrue. I can pull up for review the way the eyes of my uncle looked when he embezzled loyalty straight out of the family account. Debt like, I'm choking on the apologies I never got. I want to vomit on this bitterness. It's a sickness I can't forgive. And so I can't be forgiven my debt.
See, I've been feeding myself on the dish of revenge, but this meal is cold, congealed like blood. It's been sitting in my belly hard like stone. I can't take another bite. There's no room for more, and yet I'm not satisfied. There's more, always more. I turn my fork and knife onto myself, sawing into my flaws, all the bad calls the should-haves and the would-haves. I taste burning, I taste ash and death. Forgive us our debts, Lord, forgive me for not forgiving. I cannot continue holding on to this debt. And so, bloated on guilt and sick with shame, I approach you, Abba, Father. In need of the rest that only comes with a clean slate, I need relief from my debt. And it is in this hallowed place that I can finally understand that I am not owed. I owe. And without your extended grace, I'll sink under the strain of this debt. But can you extend that type of credit can you, Father, who are justice, cancel out the totality of my debt? Can the scales ever be balanced when measuring the extent of this, their, my, and our debt? And do you answer, I, even I, will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Your forgiveness washes over me like a wave that's been building in the east and crashes in the west. And with the cleansing terribleness of that wave, I lose my grip on debt. What I was owed and what I owe, account not found, consider the balance paid in full, no, overpaid because with what I have been given, I have more than enough to give. I've got forgiveness to forgive, and now I'm free from that.